Baseball season's almost here, and there's never been a better time to check out DraftKings.com, America's favorite daily fantasy baseball site, where you could win huge cash prizes every day. Daily fantasy means no season-long commitment. Every time you play, it's like a new season. Head to DraftKings.com now and use code ATHLETE to play for free in the opening day $100,000 fantasy baseball contest. First place takes home ten grand. Enter ATHLETE for free entry now at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. And now, The Moment with Brian Koppelman. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. Thanks for all the notes. Uh, um, I've wrapped filming uh, Billion, so I will soon be able to get back to um, responding to every email. If you want to email me, it's uh, themomentbk at gmail.com. And I do read them all, and I do respond to them all. Eventually, don't send me screenplay ideas or television ideas or scripts. I thought I could stop saying this because people hadn't. And then the moment I stopped saying don't send them, people tried to start sending them. And it really um, – I have to immediately just go into, uh, like, giant mode when I respond to those, which is like I couldn't even read your email because you sent me an idea. Lose my email address. So send me anything else, just not that. Why do you even respond to those emails? Um, I just want to because I just want don't want somebody to think, oh, I'm I'm reading and, and studying their submission of their screenplay idea. And especially somebody wrote me the other day, like, um, hey, I know you like writing about gambling, so here are three gambling movie scripts that I want to write, um, and I'd love you to. Pre-. And just as soon as I, I just said, that's the last thing that I would uh, read. My guest today is James Altucher. James has become a friend of mine over the past year. Um, I uh, really admire James. I've been listening to his podcast. I've been reading his writing. And he's somebody who has uh, had an incredible amount um, of enormous successes and brutal failures professionally, personally. And unlike many people who write about these things, um, he never sugarcoats it. His podcast, which is twice weekly, and then also there's an, an extra podcast that he does. There's the James Altucher Show, and then there's Ask Altucher. And these podcasts are, are filled with not only information, but with a, a huge amount of his heart and, and perspective. And uh, I find them to be um, must-listen pods. I, I can't say I listen to all three every week because I have what's called a life, but I... <laughs> I do listen to at least one of them and often two uh, per week. So, James Altucher, thanks for being here. Oh, and best-selling author of the book Choose Yourself uh, and many others, including the newest one, which is called... The Choose Yourself Guide to Wealth. The Choose Yourself Guide to Wealth. Uh, I've not read that one. Brian, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. You've been on my show once. You're coming on my show again. Yeah, we're doing a a lot of questions. You ever get into one of those situations where you do a podcast and you think to yourself... Oh my God, I should have asked that. Why didn't I ask that one question? And so now uh, we're going to do this, but I want you on back on mine so I can ask those questions. We're going to do a home and home. So James is on uh, the moment now. And then if you listen to his show two days from now, I guess Thursday, I'll be the guest on on his show, which we're going to record after this. So James, man, uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for coming to the city today. I know you said you've had a, a crazy few weeks. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for, for having me in. Yeah. How do you, uh, if you were introducing yourself, because I was thinking about the intro, and I could have said, you know, just author, a businessman. How would you introduce James Altucher uh, on a show if, if he were your guest? You know, it's an interesting question because everybody wants a label like 
oh, I'm an accountant, or I'm a writer, or I'm a director, or I'm an actor, or whatever. Um, so I do write. I write every day, following your advice on your, your excellent Vine loops. Uh, I write every day. Uh, I am involved in a lot of different businesses. I'm involved in over 30 different businesses. I used to run a hedge fund and a fund of hedge funds, and I've started and sold a couple of businesses. Uh, and I do other stuff. I just keep finding more things to do, probably too many things. But it seems like a lot of what you do is this outward facing, this outward facing connecting with people thing. Um, it seems like you spend a lot of your time podcasting, answering questions, being on Twitter. And, and, and how long has that been a part of, of how you look at yourself and, and how you do what you do this, this interacting with a big group of people and, and, and why, in what way does it benefit this other stuff that you do, which is being a businessman and writer? It's all, it's all integrated. So I've been interacting with large groups of, let's say, like-minded people or whatever for 20 years. But like the Twitter Q&A that you just mentioned, I've been doing that for five years without break every Thursday. Um, writing in this kind of style, I've been doing for about five years. Uh, but my first business was in the nineties. We probably even intersected. I did a lot of, uh, websites for record labels at that time. Uh, mostly like the gangster rap labels, like loud records, bad boy records, interscope. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, ultimately you, you, and I'm sure you really get this, you get material to write by kind of throwing yourself into the world and doing things that you know, are a little out of the box, a little scary. And then you get not, not so you can write because we're all trying to do different things with our lives, but then you realize, okay, at the very least, whether this was a bad experience or a good experience, now I'm going to try to process it and write about it and do it in a way that nobody has ever done before. Cause I think that's the key really is you want to, we're all, there's, there's this phrase that every idea has been done before. And I don't believe that. I think we're all right now on the frontiers of all the ideas that have been done before. And we push that frontier further. And we do that with our creativity and our energy and the way we process the things that have happened to us and learn from them and so on. Well, yeah, when you talk about, about that, I mean, a lot of what you talk about are your failures. Yes. Um, and you do it in a very human way and you've been writing about them very openly, more openly than most people do for a long time. But uh, for people who are listening to this and, and haven't, you know, there are so many aspects of it that I want to ask you about, like the fact that you always wanted to be a writer secretly, that you started a novel, wrote it, thought it was terrible, decided not to. But in the meantime, sort of because uh, you wanted to write, you weren't sure you could, you became a successful businessman. And then when that crumbled, you started writing again, um, which fed to then the next business opportunities. Can you just uh, take us through sort of the the bio from you you know going to cornell um and starting businesses and, and sort of just some sort of a line that that takes us from then to now so we can understand the general arc of of this career of yours okay it'll be like kind of the 60 second you know so you can what... take 120 seconds if you want it doesn't matter <laughs> so so you you outed me that i went to college um but uh i i was a computer programmer i majored in computer science went to grad school for computer science got thrown out of grad school um, took a job at HBO as a low-level programmer. And so despite like five years of studying computer programming and writing thousands and thousands of programmers, my programming skills in the real world were so horrible, HBO actually had to send me to a remedial school to learn how to program 
like like a the worst programmer at HBO. I had to be at least as good as him. What did you lo- like at that time? What did you think you wanted? You come out of college and you think to yourself in grad school, you I, I want to be a programmer. No, no, I I got thrown out of grad school because I started writing fiction. I wrote like four novels while I was in grad school, and they basically said, come. They wrote me a letter. I'm best friends with the guy who wrote the letter that he said, look, you're thrown out of grad school. Come back when you're more mature. And he, keep, he we do have a conversation once a year. And this is like 20 years later. We do have a conversation once a year where he says, can you come back yet? And <laughs> I'm just not ready. Wait, you started writing. So then as a result of that, you um, just totally slacked off and didn't do the schoolwork. Yeah. I mean, for, I mean, it was bad. I mean, uh, we're talking about a kid, so I don't, I, I was unethical. I kept taking their stipend. And I kept going into office. Oh, there's stipend because you mean you had a scholarship to go yeah. to grad school. Yeah, right. But I stopped attending classes. Ah. And I started writing. I was writing every day. And, uh, you know, ultimately I was ready to leave, but I had a skill, which was I knew how to program a computer, or at least I thought I had that skill. Then I went to HBO, and, and my goal was to somehow get from the programming side of HBO to the TV side of HBO. And I started this project for them on their website because I was coming from the programming side. It was called uh, 3 a.m. So I would go out and I would interview people at two in the morning on like a Wednesday night uh, at three in the, uh, you know, uh, you know, I would interview people and then I put the transcripts and photos up on the HBO website. But then uh, Sheila Nevins, who ran their, runs their documentaries, uh, said, why don't you try this as a pilot for HBO? So it was very exciting for me to get into the you know, it's kind of where I wanted to go. Yeah. And, and it was fascinating, by the way, for three years, I interviewed people at three in the morning in New York City. Uh, why are you out at three in the morning on a Wednesday night? Because so your curiosity was like you were you were letting your curiosity kind of lead then to your to these creative ideas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, um, I am not a night person, so I always wanted to know who are all these people out sure. at three in the morning on a Wednesday night. I probably interviewed over a thousand people. And got a sense of what was going on in New York City on, on not a weekend, but a weeknight. If you, if you were out at three in the morning in New York City at three in the morning, there's a there's a reason. Yeah. And it's usually not good. Right. No, I agree. <laughs> nothing. I always, yeah, I, nothing good happens after 2 a.m. Right. Generally, certainly after three. I mean, I used to be out then right then because I was, um, you know, I was seeing bands for the job that I had. So I would be out late at night uh, right up until 96, 97. I was still out most nights. Oh, we could have intersected. All the, you know, rock clubs closed. But so um, you were doing that. And now at that time, had you started thinking, were you thinking about um, success in the way that you do now? Were you thinking about the sort of like uh, the practices of your day or were you just like project focused on this specific I, thing? I was just project focused, which is a really horrible way to be because you're going to get disappointed. Because someone's going to say no to you, and it, and you think to yourself, "Oh my God, this is was the one thing that was going to make me happy," and he just said no. So when you give power to other people, where they can say one word to you that ruins your life, then that's a bad situation to be in. But I didn't know that was but a that's, bad situation. Yeah, to be right, in. that's a crucially important distinction, and it's one that um, it, it's one that people who are in any sort of well, it, almost any artistic endeavor where you need um, either funding or distribution from another source. A gatekeeper. A gatekeeper you wrestle with. And then also in business, unless you are not only the CEO, but a CEO with the board in your pocket, you have to deal with that um, very oh. often. So a lot of your life since I know, and I want to get back to the narrative, has been about figuring out how to not answer to any sort of gate 
gatekeeper or decision maker. Right. Like, like let's let's call it what it is. Is that part of being happy and ha- feeling not necessarily happy, which is a weird word, but having well being in your life is being autonomous. Like being able to make your own decisions. And even when someone says no to some of those decisions, okay, that's fine. I have other things going on in my life that are also important to me. And so you, you have the freedom to pursue many different avenues of, of life. You know, why, why are people, is it just societal conditioning? Because why, I get these letters and I know you do too. Why are people so so sure that breaking away and getting that uh, autonomy um, is the most high risk thing they can do as opposed to understanding that in, it, the other thing is actually long term more damaging right i mean do you know where the word boss comes from do you know the kind of roots of it so it comes from the dutch boss b-a-a-s which is essentially master of slaves so you know a boss has the power to say you're fired and that ruins your life so I love that. I would love it even more if you made it up. If you had made it up and I just don't know any better, that would be awesome too. <laughs> that would but be. I'm going to say you didn't make it up and it's I'll, true. I'll, I'll say I'm about 95% correct. Right. There could be a 5% exaggeration on the slave's part. Right. So, But it means master. Yes. So, uh, uh, And you give – most people think this is safe. I have a boss. Uh, I'm in a job. I'm in a cubicle at Procter & Gamble. And, and for some reason, I always make fun of Procter & Gamble, but they're a legit – they're a fine company. I'm sorry, Procter & Gamble. But if you're in a cubicle at Procter & Gamble, someone could like ruin your life in two seconds and you have to put up with it. You know, the, I know you have many things going on in your life. Many of the listeners have many things going on in their life. When I was a kid, I didn't have many things going on in my life. But you grow and you realize, okay, now I need to start having more than you know, one person that I depend on, one gatekeeper. In fact, I need to develop the skill set and the power within myself so that there's no gatekeepers or I have a diversification of gatekeepers so I can continue to go around them. And yeah, that's what I you always, build up. I always want to tell people, especially in, in their 20s when they don't have children yet, and they're really only stakes are their own. Like, uh, you know, break away, take, listen to whatever the quiet voice is and make it really loud for yourself and take the chance then. It's harder and harder the longer you go. So, but let's put you back where you were. So you're there making this stuff, starting to actually get some traction going. Are yeah. you, are you, would you define yourself then uh, as, as happy? Like, were you content doing what you were doing? Were you engaged? Uh, I was engaged very much so. I loved doing this project and I loved being at HBO, but I was never happy. And I remember my assistant at the time who was helping me with, put this together, this website, was like, why are you never happy with any achievement that we make on this? And I didn't have any answer. It's just uh, I didn't know why. Is it because it wasn't yours? No, I just kept thinking, okay, I got funding for this, but still this hasn't happened. I would, I would instantly focus on what the next goal in the la- – what the next rung on the ladder was. Well, that's great because I, I was thinking about this before you came in and I, I was thinking that when, when we start talking about this, this story, especially from here forward, from this spot forward, your trajectory is kind of like a one-man version of the dot-com and housing boom and yeah. bust. You rode the both whole – Both times. Yeah, both you, busts. Right. I mean you rode the whole thing both to incredible wealth and then the complete lack of it. And yeah. Poverty. So walk us through kind of what happened from 
you're at HBO, you're doing this thing, and then what was the rest of the the ride like? Okay, I'll give I'll give a the, the snapshot. So so basically, other entertainment companies, and then other companies started coming up to me and saying, "Whoa, what's this?" web thing and this wild stuff you're doing you know for hbo we want to do it so suddenly i was i made a little company on the side uh i was still full-time employee at hbo and then for 18 months on the side i was also ceo of a company that was making websites for all of hbo's competitors and did <laughs> so, hbo now uh finally when hbo was looking to buy the company i had to tell them i was the ceo of the company so i, I and then i and then i left hbo <laughs> And what, did they buy it? No, no. Did but somebody? They say, uh, somebody did, yes. So I made a lot of money. Is that the thing you sold to the street? or No, no. no that was later. That was another company. So I, I made a lot of money, and then um, I, I was like, I didn't know what to How do. How old were you? I was maybe 29 or 30, 30 and what's, what's a lot of money ballpark it for me? Uh, about, 28... fi- no, about $15 million, And I cashed out of it. So, so, so I say that not as bragging because maybe three years later, I had about $100 left. Right. You lost all that <laughs> right. money. And yeah. I'm not even kidding. There was, I went to my ATM machine and I had $143 in my ATM. So I remember I called up my parents. It was a Friday. I didn't know, what, I didn't know how I was going to like find the diapers to you know, put around my kids. And I called up my parents and said, look, I you know, helped you with your house. I bought you all this furniture. You know, I did all this stuff. So I said, now I need to, I'm going to drive down you know, 100 miles. I need to pick up $1,000 from you. And then I'll drive back Monday and, pay, and give you $1,000 plus whatever interest you want. Because I was selling my house that weekend. I was, I was so broke. I had to sell everything. I was right. getting foreclosed on. And so they refused. And uh, your parents refused. Yeah, and Why? Uh, they said we paid for your college. We we were owed the money you gave us uh, back. And so I hung up because I can't. I couldn't. I could. I had to focus on how I was going to survive, and I couldn't survive by arguing with them. So so well, I'm uh, sorry. I have to stop because now your own parents wouldn't bail you out of this jam. Right. Was your relationship with them strained before that? No, I didn't really understand it. Had they support? Had they been supportive emotionally of you? Uh, I don't even know. I don't even know. Really, I don't understand. <laughs> it doesn't compute. <laughs> right. The idea of emotional <laughs> right. support doesn't compute to you at that point. Yeah. Now, I mean, I'm very emotionally supportive to my kids. I spend a lot of time with my kids. But uh, you but know. you mean the way you? It sounds like the way Jerry Seinfeld will talk about when when he grew up. In other words, he always says that, it, that doesn't. Uh, he wasn't even looking for that. Right. So for you, that wasn't a bit. You just there maybe were, that's what, our generation. There were just expectations. No, my parents were so supportive. There was just ex, there were what expectations put on you to achieve and yeah, and, and I think I'm not going to blame them. It came out of their own insecurities, and my dad had lost his business. My mom had had polio, so I don't blame them. I just couldn't deal at the time. I was in a crisis. So and at that time, were you not somebody who had a friend group? Had you uh, a friend group? Where well, you could. You have to, to understand that the internet bust. So I was so much part of. I mean, I built an internet company. I sold it. I started a venture capital fund. It was all about investing in the internet. We raised two hundred million. I mean, I was neck deep in internet. So when the internet busted, and then I busted, zero people. Everyone was like, the internet was is a scam. This guy James, who who is he? Like you know. And I was like, a, I had been living, and it's all my fault. I take full blame. I had been living like a drunken rock star on steroids. Like I built, I bought and built like the biggest apartment in New York practically. I just went crazy. And I, it wasn't like I lost 
all my money on paper. I lost it because I just simply spent it all. You spent it, and then when it stopped coming in, you were you were dead. Yeah. So you you uh, you build this company. Um, now, do you, and, and, you and, and, back and I take and full you, blame? I, I'm not even trying to be arrogant about it. Like I take full blame. It was my fault. But now you're you're you are um, you have a rigorous understanding of ethics. I've heard you talk about ethics a lot uh, in, on your advice. Uh, you know the advice show you do. Ask Altucher. People ask you certain sort of ethical questions, or and I mean, at the time, did you feel like what you were doing was unethical? Having this other company while you were working at HBO, did it? Because I know that the, the, there's been a trajectory in your life um, where you've you've reckoned with ethics and how you want to comport yourself. But what were you thinking at the time? I was, to be honest, uh, I was helping out somebody else who was running a CD-ROM company. Remember what CD-ROMs were? And I said, "No, you need to know about this internet thing." So I set him up, and I started throwing him the website jobs at HBO. And then he 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 was French, right? So he couldn't write in English. So I would write the proposals that I would then approve. You know, and then on you the other were side. his partner in the thing. And then finally, it was like we were, we had like up to twenty employees. Finally, I had to leave my full time job to. You know, a lot of people think, oh, I have an idea. Can you give me money? That's not how it works. It works by you. I was working a full time job from six in the morning till six at night, and sometimes at three in the morning. And I was running a business. That's reality. That's the real world. So everybody's like, "Oh no, venture capitalists should fund me now." I have an idea. But but I'm saying when you were working at HBO and then you were supporting, you were as you said building websites for their competitors. Right. So so here's what was did happening. Did that feel odd to you? It did, but at the same time, there was nobody else in New York City at the time. There was maybe four people in New York City who knew how to do this. Right. So so. I was doing a really good job for them too. So even after I left, by the way, it wasn't on bad terms. They were our biggest client. Right, you kept working for yeah. HBO. Yeah, and they, and all our, they knew who all our clients were. So it was no problem. No, I was, it was just I couldn't stay. No, I think it's an interesting question. I mean, I was working a job when I was writing Rounders and I was working a full-time job. And I, I, now it's funny that the employment contract that I was supposed to sign had said that any, because I was working for a writer company, sort of like any creative work you produce during the span we own and I knew I wanted to write, so I made sure that I accepted it in the contract. So I, I had that not in my contract so that I was allowed to create yeah. something else. And I went to my superiors and I said, this guy, David Sigerson, who was my boss at the time, and I said, hey, I wanna, I'm thinking about quitting to write. And he said, no, you can just write in the mornings. You don't have to quit. And you yeah. can do this. So I cleared it in, in advance, but I, I did feel I knew it was gray area because so much of my mental energy was going towards – something else the last year that I was employed there, you know, because when you're doing the thing that you know you should be doing, it occupies you in a way that, that, that the day job doesn't. Right? right. Which a day job will never satisfy that in many cases, you know, but to, in terms of the ethics, I'm not going to say I was the most, I, I mean, it wasn't like I was killing anybody or stabbing anyone in the back. I was simply running a company on the side, yeah. you know, which, by the way, is how almost every entrepreneur starts off. But was it the most ethical? Would I do it again? No, I would be upfront immediately. Um, you know, people do change. I, I, I think that happens. Well, yeah, you talk about change and failure all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think the, your view on this stuff is... Um... I think the reason I failed is probably because I wasn't as ethical then. I think I, think I was playing a lot of loose games and that's that those those in the poker world as you know they're called leaks yeah. so i had a lot of leaks 
And uh, well, yeah, and that, some part of you wants. To, it's almost like you want to um, pr- prove to yourself that that uh, by being unscrupulous, you can't win, so you force yourself. Yeah, to, to lose. Right, and that's that's basically what happened. And I was just totally down and out. And uh, in the sense that I, I literally lost my home, lost my family, lost all my friends, lost all my money, obviously. Uh, I moved about 80 miles north of the city into a tiny, tiny shed, basically, with my kids. And after living this you know, super high life, I kind of had to start off again with no connections, no network, because nobody was returning my calls at this point. Wasn't like I was going to call HBO and say, "Hey, can I be a programmer yeah, again?" No, you are such a. The way that I know you and the friends of mine who 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 know you introduced us. You know, you are known to be an incredibly helpful, generous person. Generous with your time. Generous with your. People say you have the best. Um, you know, your uh, Rolodex, your your connections are is more extensive than almost anybody's, uh, and you are very. Um, you're very free with that. You're very giving with that in a very Adam Grant kind of a, a, a way. Um, but I'm wondering what your personality was like during that first rush of enormous success. Were you, I understand the way it went to your head in, in, in spending the, the money and stuff, but I'm just wondering how else it manifested. In other words, what you thought about yourself when that was all happening, the first time I, you were extraordinarily successful. I really thought that self-worth equaled net worth. That, and I was really into money. I forgot all about every creative dream I had. I was just into money. Really, that so, really happened. You were and, and you you allowed yourself. You allowed yourself. You said drunken rock star, to kind of turn off, the 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 compass, the 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 internal compass that told you whether you were really headed in the right direction or not. Right. I never even thought about that. Now, I did give a lot of money to charity. I gave money to friends. Right. Anybody who asked, I gave. So it wasn't like I was like yeah. uh, a bad guy. You know, suddenly I'm like, you know, I don't know, spewing filth all over the place. But uh, but I ended up not really having any kind of barometer of where I was going. And uh, it, it cost me. So what happened was I then decided, look, this is this is wrong. I lost everything. So this is wrong. So, um, and then I remember, remember I, I mentioned earlier, I had hung up on my parents. Well, six months later, I still hadn't spoken to them. They kept trying to talk to me. And then my dad had a stroke and died. And, uh, and you know, I obviously felt really bad. And I said, look, this is not working. <laughs> so something, something is really bad happening in my life and I can't seem to get it under control. So I decided, what can I do today to get it under control? And so I can't regret every single day about losing millions of dollars. It's not getting me anywhere. And I can't be anxious about how I'm going to pay for my kids and stuff in the future because I can't control that. But what I can do is I can take the staircase instead of the elevator. So I can be physically healthy today. I can be emotionally healthy, meaning I can start to build friendships and and do things for my friends and, and have and laugh again with my friends. I can be creatively healthy so I can start writing down ideas every day, write fiction or nonfiction every day, start coming up with business ideas every day, and I can be grateful for what I do have. So I had two beautiful children. I did have a place to live warm meals every day and I started to make friends again and doing that every day I'm very convinced 
that the best predictor of a successful tomorrow is having a successful today. So I judged my success today about whether I was physically, you know, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually I, healthy. I mean, when you say all this now, it, it's obvious. Um, it's obviously uh, it's something you've said a lot. You've mm -hmm. thought you, you're now able to put it into not a soundbite. It's very genuine. I can see looking in your eyes that yeah. it's all real, but. It sounds um, so logical now, right, um, on reflection. But what I'm wondering about is how hard that was to really make each of those discoveries then, whether it happened just in a flash, like a blinding moment of insight upon your dad's death, or, or whether you started, like, what did you do to realize, like, what are the steps? Okay, I need a daily practice. This is going to be the daily practice. These are the goals. Like, what, how long did that take? And then, and what was granular, go granular. Like what was it okay. really like putting that together? I'll tell you exactly what was happening. So my house was foreclosing. Um, I had no, I had no options. My, my, as you could imagine, if you, if you, you know, my monthly expenditures was more than I could have ever have imagined making in a year when I was younger. Mm -hmm. So, and I had no income coming in and no money. So, uh, I needed to figure it out. Like I had to, like there was a gun to my head. I was, what was I, your normal day? You'd wake up and do what? Before you had these insights, you'd wake up and do what? What oh, would you, okay. what would happen? I would leave, I would wake up, I would take a bunch of books, I'd go to a cafe and I would take a notebook and I would read, I had four types of books I would read. I would read uh, like kind of an inspirational book. I'd read a nonfiction book, a fiction book and a book about games. I love any kind of game. And, and then I would start writing down ideas. And this became an important practice for me, writing down 10 ideas a day, because I sort of feel, uh, and again, I don't want to sound soundbite-ish here, but I sort of feel like uh, we all have an idea muscle, and just like our leg muscles, they, those muscles will atrophy if you don't use them. If you don't use your leg muscles for two weeks, you need physical therapy to walk again. Yeah, no, your idea of the 10 ideas a day, which you talk about a lot on your podcast, is a brilliant thing. It, it makes total sense that... Um, and people should listen to, to you really because you do um, you do go into depth about how to start doing that. But your notion of uh, every day, write down 10 ideas, 10 things you could do and do it every, and don't worry about the quality of those ideas. It's very similar to, you know, the stuff that, that uh, Julie, you know, the Julie Cameron artist way stuff. It's finding a way to just open, um, open the channel to your own creativity yeah. and all that stuff. So, but you started that then. So you're saying you'd right go then. to the bookstore. I mean, you'd go to the, a cafe, you'd read. And were you saying to yourself, I'm reinventing who I am or I'm rebuilding my interior? Or you, or were, were you looking for the next business idea at that time? Both. I mean, I needed to build up my creativity again after years of just, you know, spewing money everywhere. And I was, was looking for the next business idea. But also I was looking for, I was looking for help. So it kind of was a process of figuring out where do I need to, to, how do I build up this idea muscle? So I wrote to like 40 different people and said, hey, uh, you're great, whatever. Uh, can I buy you a cup of coffee? Zero of them responded, right? So no billionaire or successful person is going to say, oh my gosh, James Aldrich just wrote me. Stop everything. He's going to buy me a coffee. <laughs> like nobody's going to do that. It, right. So, so, so finally I said, okay. I need to stop focusing on me. I need to come up for them how, what can help them. So I wrote to them, I wrote to all 40 people back and I said, and I did a lot of research. I said, here's 10 ideas to help your business. I don't care if you ever email me again. Like it's just, I'm giving you these ideas. 
And uh, out of the 40, let's say, and 40 is rough, maybe 38, 50, whatever, three responded. And uh, one person I had written, here's 10 ideas for articles you could write that I want to read. And he wrote back and said, these are great. Why don't you write them? So it started me off on a relationship that ended up making me um, another successful business that I sold. But I started writing every day for this guy and then for other Who magazines. Who was that person? That was Jim Cramer who writes So wait, the- so, Jim, is this, so Jim Cramer, who people know from his television show- Mad Money. Mad Money, you wrote Cramer and said, you should write these 10 articles, Jim. Yes. Because you, James, knew about um, the finance industry. You knew his brand. Yeah. And so you just gave him 10 ideas. Right. And I said, I want you to write them. I don't want to write them. I want to read them. And did he say to you, if you write them and they're good, I'll publish them? No, he said, you write them and we'll publish them. Right then. Yeah. He just he just trusted me that, I don't know why, he said, we, we need to bring on you as a writer. And uh, he didn't see any sample of writing or anything because I had just given ideas. I wasn't pitching him. And anything. how many, and then did you, when you got that email from him, did you immediately get to doing it? Uh, it took about three months to kind of get through their system or whatever, but uh, uh, but then I started writing them, and then I, I ended up uh, building a website off of some of these ideas that I had, and then s- building that website had millions of users. It was called stockpicker.com. This is like four years later now. It's kind of like once you get your foot in the door, you wiggle a little, a little more, the door opens a little more, and finally I was having regular meetings with the CEO, and I was giving him 10 ideas that the street.com should do. And it was ideas for him. And finally, he said, you should do one of these ideas. So I did. And I built up this website. It had millions of users. We were profitable from day one because there was no employees. And, uh, and then I sold that business to thestreet.com. So just, just by giving Jim Cramer 10 ideas with no expectations back, I, four years later, or, yeah, five years later, I made significant Another money. $10 million, Like another Yeah, we $10 sold that business dollars? for $10 million. Right. So, so you went from having made 15 and losing it to zero and zero when you're sitting in a cafe trying to read books, figuring out what yeah. the next step is. And you, I'll, t- I'll tell you that same day yeah. I had an idea completely different. Like I had no idea which idea would work. And so you mean the same day you sent Jim the 10 yeah, things. I was going to write a book on how to beat all your friends at any game in the world. <laughs> so like you, you go, when you go home for, uh, for Thanksgiving, you might play your friends in Monopoly or, you know, your family, you might play them in Scrabble or chess. So I was going to come up with 10 roles to, to beat your friends at any I mean, game in the world. You should still write that book. It's a fun book, right? <laughs> yeah, you should write that book and give like it away. Monopoly, St. James Place. If you own that, you're going to win. Well, I just read an article about someone who has their own opinion on that. But so you, that was another idea you had. You, but you did that thing, and you said it took three months. What would happen? You would, because it almost sounds like an, an Edward Albee uh, play. You know, you would go, well, and then... I, let, let me tell you one other. So then another guy I sent... Here's 10 pieces of software I wrote to model the stock market. And these pieces of software uh, have been working for me. That's how I've been able to more or less pay my monthly expenses on almost zero money. And you can have the software. I'll explain to your staff how it works. I just, I'm, you know, it was a hedge fund manager who was also making a comeback. And um, he had a similar philosophy of trading. So I gave him these pieces of software with no expectation back. And he allocated some of his personal money to me to invest. And so then I started investing that and it was doing well. And I had a track record and I started raising money from other people and I built up a hedge fund. So like to most people, I would say, you know, your special set of skills makes it seem like even when you're telling the story about how busted you were, you were still somebody who had this, you know, incredibly high IQ and had spent time learning about the financial markets and had... 
uh, track record of success, even though there was failure. So there had to be some confidence deep down. Most people, I think, feel like they they don't really have that package of skills. Now, maybe it's only on reflection that it seems like you had that package of skills. So how do you when how do you think most people can figure out what their sort of way in would be, right? Because I mean, most people can't build ten trading platforms, right? So so again. Everybody's got some skills, whether they realize it or not. Everybody has something they love doing when they were 10 years old and or when they were 15 or when they were 25. And you can start by building on those ideas. I, most of the ideas I wrote, if you write 10 ideas a day, you're writing 3,650 ideas a year. One of them might be a good idea. Right. So, you know, you, the key is building up that idea muscle and then you'll know, you'll start to know who to send out to. Remember, I wrote to 40 people, three responded. Two were, were guys I responded to. That's really to right important away. to remember, right. By the way, the third guy, it took me 12 years to respond to him. I responded to him last year. So I wrote these ideas. And, you mean he responded to you last year? No, I responded, he responded to me in 2002, and I blew him off. And then I responded to him in 2012. <laughs> and uh, Sorry, 2014. And I said, hey, I didn't respond to you back then. You probably don't even remember. But can you come on my podcast? Was that Nassim Taleb? Yeah, Nassim right. Taleb. And I, and I, I remember said, hearing the podcast. Yeah. I said, here's the things I love about all your books. And here's what I want to talk about. Because I was really scared about something in his last book, uh, Anti-Fragile. And I wanted to talk to him about that. And he agreed. It was the only interview he did last year. And it was a, it was a fun podcast. Anti-Fragile is a great book. The book I really want to read is um, somebody's book that explains Anti-Fragile. That's the one that – because it's a lot of work to read that book. It's a lot of work. He did that on purpose, which he explains in the podcast. He didn't want people to read it, so he wanted to put more math in there. And um, But what I wanted to know was about personal anti-fragility, so, which is how do you make yourself as a human being anti-fragile? So that, that, and what it means specifically is if something bad happens to you, it's, it's not just that you're resilient. It's that you become stronger out of it. I mean, that's why anti-vaxxers are crazy. Yeah. Because vaccines are yeah, anti- it's totally. total, full yeah. anti-fragile. Well, well, I said to Nassim, one example was, and I don't want to make this about that podcast, but I said is, I've never been sick. I've never had a cold or anything. I'm really afraid once I get sick, I'm just going to totally collapse and die. <laughs> so I won't be able to deal with it. So, so he said, why don't you... He's almost, I forget the exact words, but he basically said, why don't you poison yourself right. a little bit? And, uh, and I d- didn't do that, but he gave a whole bunch of other suggestions, which were great. Yes. But so you, you did that thing. Um, you reached out to these people and then what, what, when you would go home, what was the, what were you, did you know you were making progress? I guess is what I want to say. How did you track to yourself? Yes. I'm getting better. I'm healing. I'm making progress. I'm because, moving forward. Because your body is going to tell you. So uh-huh. when you're scared or regretful, your body also tells you, right? You feel sick in your stomach or your chest hurts or your brain hurts. You have a headache. Everybody has a different way of their brain, their body communicating with them. Cortisol shooting somewhere in your body and your body's going to respond. The tribe's going to leave you behind if you don't catch up. Right. And you're scared. You're going to be left behind and the lions will eat you. So, so what was happening was the reverse, was that suddenly I was excited again for maybe the first time in three years. I felt this excitement like, wow. I have options. Maybe I'll do this, or maybe I'll do that, or I have an idea to do this. Progress. And suddenly, I wasn't thinking anymore that I was going to go broke. I wasn't, there was no more countdown clock. The countdown clock disappeared. And suddenly, I had confidence that I'm going to, I have a safety net. And the safety net are my own ideas and my own ability to, to be healthy and to be grateful. What's the worst that could happen? And I don't mean this in a stoic way where 
you know, calculating the worst that could happen is what's going to actually protect me. I meant that I actually did. There was no worst case scenario. I was going to do this every day and I was going to be fine. And I really felt that deep inside. I didn't like intellectually think that I just stopped thinking about the worst case scenario. And, and you know how, like, let's say you're writing a, a script and you have this sense Wow, this is good. You feel that excitement in your chest. Anybody can tell you like bad news and you're not going to even hear them. Well, yeah, Tony Robbins talks about, you know, that as, as long as humans feel uh, a human being feels like uh, she's making progress uh, and has that hope, she can be happy. But that without progress, it's very hard to. It's true um, when an idea, even when a really concrete idea for a movie pops into my head and then I write down. Uh, a paragraph about it and then it leads to like one other, oh okay i know how to do that in a couple of scenes that and then it, i wake up the next day and the idea still seems like a good idea that can float me for a long time no matter sure. what else is going on the excitement of it and not and you're you're right not in, in terms of um oh that means that i can um i'll be able to make money off of the idea or so it's it's literally just the my creative uh, faculty is working. I'm alive. I'm, I'm, I'm engaged. And that's right. the, the, a huge part of the battle, right? Is finding this kind of, the North Star is like this kind of engagement. Right. And you know, it never has to do with money. Like once you start thinking about the money, then you stop thinking about. Yeah. Although even when you tell your story though, I, that's true. Um, but you do, it seems to me, even when you tell your story, you do measure it like the, the brackets on it are, and this was a time I had a lot of it, and this is a time I had none of it. That's true. Although, for that for that year after I started coming up with ideas, nobody paid me for anything. I wasn't right. paid to write those articles, and I w was barely paid to manage this guy's money. Like he knew he had a deal like on me, so you know I wasn't. I didn't make any money for like two years after that. Like I was living off. We sold my house, and I was. It's barely at each month, barely yeah. like making it. That's why I had to move 80 miles north and just survive and tread water while I was trying to figure out all this stuff out. But I never thought about the money because I knew because I was creatively engaged. What what makes you happy? And I can tell you, we talked a little bit about freedom, uh, but there's also feeling competent. And so that's what starts to happen when you when you write that paragraph, like, oh yeah, I'm back, I'm competent again, you know, or yes. I'm competent at this. Yes. And then um, relationships, because you can't get a movie made without having tons of relationships and friendships, people who trust you, not just connections, but people who are like your scene. Your this is my group, yes. my family. This my totally family. dovetails with you know John Acuff's new book. Do over. I don't know if you've read it. I haven't read it. It's terrific, and he talks about. You're having one. Are you going to have him on your show, or you have probably? To yeah, we've gone back and forth. But it's um. He's going to be on this show in a couple of weeks, and uh, he breaks it down in this way in a really clear way about comp get um stoking your own competence and having these relationships. So and, yes, and you know these are not new. Tell things. me the other things that make it happen. Yeah. Well, well, it's just these three things really: competence, uh, feeling a, a freedom, a sense of freedom. And having relationships with your with your family, with the scene around you, and think about human beings forty thousand years ago it was the exact same thing. Is this guy a good hunter or a bad hunter? If he's good, he could stay in the tribe. Okay, if he stays in the tribe, he's going to have good relationships and he's going to have freedom because they weren't worried about jobs. I'm not I'm not kind of glorifying that. And, and them. does does the fact that when you had this very very low period, um, you were able to recover, does that help you surf through? the low times now or the times you make a mistake now or the times you lose professionally now? 
Absolutely. I mean, before the podcast started, I told you about a kind of weird financial situation I was in where I lost quite a bit. My first reaction was, A, this is horrible. I'm going to give myself one day to mourn. And then B, what are the 15, 20 things I learned from this experience and how can I avoid it again? What what should I have seen two years ago about these people? What 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 can I now communicate in like future articles or books uh, or newsletters or whatever about this this experience? Well, okay. So I wonder about this because I've heard you say a few times that you think you're a bad judge of character. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet these relationships are a huge part of your of your life. So what do you what do you mean by that you're a bad judge of character? And then also, how do you learn to remediate that? For me, I mean, it's almost like someone, let's say someone has, I, I don't have Asperger's, obviously. I don't want to get into that. But let's say someone does. It means they don't know how to read the emotions say, in someone's face. So I was having, I, I was very, I was liking everybody. So I'm very good at like, I just enjoy people and I enjoy getting along with people. And so I had to sit down and write uh, down, what was it about this person I should have recognized? And then I can look back, oh, this next person I'm meeting has certain qualities like this other person. So maybe, even though I like him a lot, maybe I should not do business with them. You know, I kind of have to like go back to my, my, my ideas. I had to write down 10 ideas I learned from this disaster. And so, this, so even now you're saying something bad happens. You will actually take a minute, because I think most of us don't do this. Most of us just like glide through the next th- to the next thing. Or, but you will or, stop? I don't think people glide. I think people blame. So sure. I think, I think people ask, and this is a Tony Robbins thing, I think people ask lousy questions, like, why did this happen to me? But I think that's really important not to do. The, the real question to ask is, you know, how can I improve from this? To, you know, how can I get stronger? What should I do differently next time? So right. you, you will really do that. You will, now, will you talk to your wife, Claudia, about this stuff, or do you do it first by yourself? Like, write a li- you, you actually go, um, okay, this thing went bad in business. Um, I'm going to really stop and and try to figure out what I can take forward from it and and how not to make that mistake again. It'll be yes. uh, conscious, not just like kind of in your bones, but I mean, you'll consciously write it out. No, I'll write it down. And, uh, and yeah, I talked to my wife about it because I think she's an excellent judge of character for instance. So I'll ask her, what does she think I did wrong? But do you think some part of you – okay, I have to ask this question because I listen to you. I've heard you talk to so many people. And I, I wonder if some part of you, like, needs the seesaw. For the, tra- what do you I think, man? Because why, like, it's too. It happens very like the seesaw thing seems to happen more frequently to you because it seems like you're able it, to get talk- back up to the right, well, height. Let me, I'm, let me ask you a question. I think I write about the seesaw, but I think everyone has the seesaw. <laughs> Have you had this, this sim, a similar season? So, okay, so I've made money and lost and made money and lost probably three or four times. And I have bad things happen to me and good things happen to me and I meet bad people and I meet good people. Yes, and you write about it and think about it all the time. Right, so you see it. So because I'm really open about it and I write about it, you see it. And, and But do you think... No, well, I can compare it to like weight loss and weight gain for me. Mm-hmm. So I, I can lose 20 pounds, feel really good about it, and then gain 20 pounds back, Right. But some part of me has to have recognized a while ago, well, you know, right now I'm, I'm 208. Uh, at my fattest, I was 248. So I've, but so I, once I lost that 40, there's no chance I'm, I, if I gain five now, I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm stopping because I, I won't let it get, but I think for a long time I needed some part of me needed to feel 
about myself. I, I think I don't want to feel about myself anymore. So I, that's why I developed a practice right, to so not feel myself. And I'm wondering if some part of you needs to make you know tell yourself you're a bad judge of character. I wonder if it's just like you go, oh, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna willfully not look at this. No, because I think so. In 2008. I, I sort of went through again selling a company and then going to zero and losing a home. I went through the exact right, same like thing. Right, like your fifth time or fourth so, time. Right. So finally I said, you know what? I need to – what I keep calling this you know, physical, emotional, mental, whatever, I need to now really never stop. <laughs> so like I, I kept making money and thinking, well, that's it. I don't have to do that anymore. God, that sucked doing that every day. Right. So I just need to do it every day. And um, – and and that and I haven't stopped. So that's why when bad. So yeah, a horrible thing happened to me a few weeks ago. And uh, fine, I move. It doesn't didn't bother me in the slightest. One day bothered me, and then I learn from it and I move on. And other good things happen, and and so on. So so sometimes you eat a cake, but and you know the next day, okay, I'm not, I'm gonna yes, not right. eat as much. <laughs> and and so that's what happens to me now. And and but and you still but do you still find. Because you get so much out of failure, in other words, you generate out of failure, you generate all this ability to connect with people, mm -hmm. with their stories. Um, you use failure in that way. I'm just wondering if there's something comfortable about that for you. Well, let's talk about that because I think there's almost like failure porn happening on the internet. That's what I'm, now. yeah, like, yes. Like everyone say, says, oh, you know, you can't succeed till you fail. You know, there's all this kind of propaganda almost about failure. And it's just not true. Like it really sucks to fail. <laughs> like there is just no denying it. Yeah. It is the worst thing in the world. So, so a you have to redefine what you what it even means. So, okay, that was an experiment that didn't work out. I'm going to try another little. You know, a, what who was it? Ed, Edison tried another filament in the light bulb, and finally it worked. So it's an experiment rather than a failure. Everybody says, oh, Edison failed ten thousand times. No, he didn't. He, ex he was doing experiments. That's what, that's what science is about. That's what self improvement's about. Is you experiment, and not everything's going to work. Oh, an amazing book people should read. Um, cause I, I haven't recommended a book in a while on on here. Um, is Einstein's Dreams, um, by like Alan Gerganis, oh. I think. Right? Is that, is that, that book Alan is Lightman? By? Alan Lightman. Thank yeah. you, Alan Lightman. Einstein's dreams, but it's a uh, it's first book actually. It's fiction, um, but it it posits the different ways that Einstein thought about relativity before he got there. It sounds dry, but it's not dry. It's incredible. And Einstein's a great example too. He had been working essentially on his ideas for ten years at that point, and he was like a third level patent clerk. Uh, you know, he yeah. Was, he wasn't a success at that moment. But but so you're saying failure porn, people getting uh, um, off on the idea of failure. You saying, well, you should. Uh, not necessarily have it, but on, on the flip side, how do you now define security? Like what, what is security for you now? How do you define it? Security for me is today, did I physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually have a good day? That is the only definition because I have no idea about tomorrow, but I do know if I do those things today, tomorrow is going to be pretty good. And so, right. That's, so that's, that's like, my, right, like the, my thing of, um, journaling, meditating, taking a long walk, being around my family, let me being ask, creative. I do those things. Let me ask you this question. A, a year ago, you probably set yourself, like everybody, I'm going to have certain goals over the year. I bet you none of those, I bet you all your goals completely changed. Everything that happened to you probably completely changed from what you expected. Uh, the last 18 months have gone pretty much the way that I figured that they would. But yes, often that the last 18 months, uh, at a certain, uh, when I started this, 
when I started the podcast, we can talk about this in your podcast. By the way, a year ago, did you know you were going to be doing a podcast? Well, yeah, I started a little over a year ago and, um, I didn't know that it would resonate with people the way that it has resonated with people. But, um, but I knew that I wanted to engage in this conversation because like you, I've, I've, I realized, uh, a certain number of years ago that if I, um, put a certain kind of creative practice in effect, it would be, um, it would stop me from feeling anxiety. So I figured out how, you know, what worked, what worked for me so that I could be a good dad and a husband. Like, so that was what, I mean, that's the reason that, that I figured it out. I had to figure it out. So I, and I found a lot of the same stuff you found to do it. Sure. Cause I think these are our primal, I, you know, but sort of do that thing, but to get at that security thing for you, because on, on your podcast, the James Altucher show on Thursday, I'll answer these questions. Yes. Um, but, um, security for you, uh, how do you, how do you make sure you tick off each of those things every day? Like, do you get up and do a bunch of that stuff? Yes. So my morning routine is I'll be reading and writing. Uh, I, first thing when I wake up, I, I try to do what I call solve 10 difficult gratitude problems. So a difficult gratitude problem is something that sucks that I could then teach myself to be grateful for. Example. Um, last week, I, I, I don't have a driver's license, but I was driving my daughter around like I do. And uh, I was on an icy road. And for whatever reason, I decided to fool around a little bit, and we ended up crashing into someone's yard over a snowbank, and uh, uh, and we were stuck in the night in someone's yard, and we couldn't get out. Like the car was like perched in the air, and we couldn't like get out in any direction. And my daughter was upset, and you know it looked bad. And so a difficult gratitude problem was the next day. I wrote ten things, ten reasons why I was grateful for what happened. And uh, th- this is so amazing because my daughter and I were talking this morning uh-huh. about when this happened to us. Really? The same thing? Walking her to school this morning because of the hat I was wearing commemorated. We um, went to Hershey, Pennsylvania a few years ago. I wasn't fooling around and I have a driver's license, but we, um, we were leaving to come back to New York and uh, hit an icy patch. Um, it had just actually rained. It was the end of the summer and it had rained, thunderstorm, oil slick. We went off the road um, on a little embankment, hit uh, like the cord that attached a telephone pole. I aimed, it was the last thing I could do was like, aim scary. at that instead of the pole. And it hit that cord, which was reinforced, held the car up. And I was able to get Anna to my side, undo her seatbelt and get us out of the car. Um, and then we were trapped in this pouring rain, thunderstorm. Uh, we had to hike to the nearest house. We got there. It was a disastrous situation, but it, it, it remains absolutely, um, you know, and then to get back home to New York, I mean, it took us forever. And I, I will say one of the greatest days of my life was the, from the moment I got her out of the car until we got home to New York. Absolutely one of the greatest days of my life. The two of us together right. solving this solving this problem and right. m- her making fun of me the, uh, for uh, crashing and me making fun of myself and just the whole day. So I, I can relate to, we were just talking about it this morning. Right. Uh, and, and look, you could have been angry. You, it could have been a horrible, ruinous experience for your relationship well, what, with yeah, her. Man, I mean, we could have died. So the yeah. fact that we like, l- neither, we weren't even hurt a little made it a great thing. I mean, 
again, it was I got to spend a lot of time, like just like yeah, I got a lot of spend quality one on one time with my daughter, um, and then everybody in the neighborhood kind of came out and figured out how to tow us out back onto the road, and so suddenly it was like this community effort. I like made friends and. Uh, I saw how people could, people were happy to help. So every day you do a difficult, you do, do difficult gratitude problems. Fantastic. I read, I write, I, I exercise throughout the day, not like in the gym or lifting weights, but I'll walk around. I'll do things that are, are difficult or strenuous for myself. And, uh, I sleep at least, you know, eight hours a day, which is hard to sometimes figure out, but I, but I do it. And this is really important to me that I do this every day. Right. Not a day goes by where I don't. And then do it. the day is a success if you do those things. The day is a success if I do those things. That's the only way I judge. And success. so if you once you find and, and friendships, very important. So if I'm, I make sure I'm in touch with friends and been connecting with people. So that's building your your scene, your tribe. We still need that as we haven't moved past evolution. I know I agree with that uh, 100%. I know part of that for you is communicating with all the people who listen to you uh, and who send in questions and who read. And, and you know, and then I stay in touch. Like, that's how I really love the, the people. I, I people I really love the people that I interact with and that are around me and that I help and that help me and, and so on. And I, I benefit from, look, you're this amazing creative guy. I like being around you and seeing what you're working on. Like, everything's great when I hang out with people in my scene. No, I think about this stuff similarly, um, and I think it's been really helpful. And I, but I, I do think that sometimes when, when, when people hear about it who haven't chosen these haven't chosen these fields that we have or who haven't had the experiences that, that have led them here, it's very hard to relate to what a simple, like how, how simple the shifts are. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, 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 and it almost feels impossible. Like I'll get letters from people saying, well, how can I, how can I do this? And I want to say, well, just, um, journal, like start journaling, but somehow there's a, a, a disconnect. It, it feels impossible. And I, you know, you just want to say, well, I've, that's why I never give advice. Right. I just say what I've done. Yeah, me too. Right. And so I, people can say. I hate answering those emails. I've, or I, yeah. I like answering them, but I, I hate being definitive or telling somebody else what they should do because I don't know. I, I agree with you. I know what worked for me, you, Ryan Holiday, David Levine, Tony. I, I know what, what worked for a whole bunch of people that I know. Yeah. But beyond that, it's. And also people don't like the simplicity of it. People say, well, what do I need to do to make a million dollars in sales on my website? Should I put my button on the left or my button on the right? Everyone wants like tactics, but it doesn't start with the tactics. It starts from the inside and the inside will reflect what goes on on the outside. And then you'll start to figure out the tactics. It'll become natural. Right. You, you got to go ob objective first, clear objective, then strategy, then tactics. Well, you have to say, you have to do, you have to be healthy in all these different ways. And then you're going to say, oh, you know what? I need to get in touch with this guy who will know and yeah. I need to help him I mean, and then he'll help me. Not it's necessarily in a mattress sort of way, but I just need to be generally part of a community where these answers are bubbling up and then I'll know. Yeah. Although weirdly or amazingly, I do think, um, and I do think Tim Ferriss has found a lot of tactics that, <laughs> that work. I do think that Tim's, uh, like books have a lot of tactics, but I guess you ha you do have to be ready to apply them. You have to be ready to apply them. And it takes a long time to be ready to apply them. Yeah. I was going to say like his book and Josh Waitzkin's book, both are very good as far as tactics go. Um, and 
Uh, Josh Waitzen is a great example, though, of someone who started as a kid learning the art of learning before he could write 15 years later the book, The Art of Learning. Absolutely. And the book talks about, I mean, the different ways that he had to then figure out what it was that he was unconsciously doing. Yeah. To then be able to apply it in times of need. Because we all have had the moments, everybody's had moments of being in the zone. Learning how to recognize that is really hard, though, I think. Yeah, which is why I never think about it. I only think of... Is to, it did today? I do what I needed to do, and uh, and every day do you at the do you at the end of the day do you journal about what your day's been, or you wait till the next day to do that? Sometimes I'll do, uh, and this is rare though, but sometimes I'll do an I did list. So everybody does a to do list, which I think is useless because you don't know what's going to happen during the day, and you're not going to get things done, and it's going to be stressful. But I'll do it sometimes at the, if it, particularly if I'm feeling like, oh, what did I do? Where did the day go? I'll write an I did list and I'll see all the things I actually did during the day. And it'll be so much bigger than any to-do list could have been that I get pleasure out of that. And that makes me feel good. But usually at the end of the day, you know, our peak brain power happens. Um, let's say you wake up at 7 a.m. Your peak brain power happens between 9 and 11 a.m. of the day. Two hours after you wake up till four hours after you wake up. So that's what I'm going to do in my writing, which is the thing that's most important to me. And at the end of the day, I'll call like a business partner. I'll do things that are more administrative. I'll hang out with Claudia, which doesn't require a lot of brain power. You know, it's my wife. Uh, I'll just do things that are, I'll take a walk. I mean, she's a very smart person, so it, yeah. it does require a certain kind of brain power, doesn't well, it? Well, my chief goal at the end of the day is to make her laugh as much as possible. So right. that that's doesn't great. require much brain power. Oh, she, yeah. she laughs at all my jokes. Well, that's another, obviously, if you can just laugh all day, that's another way to just um, be happy. Listen, dude, there's so much more for us to talk about, so I'm glad that we're about to go do your pod. But also, um, I'd love to have you back here. If people want to find you, um, they can find you on Twitter. You do these Q&As every Thursday. Your name on Twitter is your name. At Jay Altucher. At Jay Altucher on, on Twitter. Yeah. The podcast is The James Altucher Show. The other podcast is Ask, Ask Altucher. Altucher. Yeah, or just go to jamesaltucher.com. There's links to anything, you know, A-L-T-U-C-H-E-R. And you give away a tremendous amount of content. You give away a tremendous amount of ideas. Um, and uh, I think you're um, a force for good. So. Thank you very much. Hey, Brian, thank you for having me on the podcast. This is really great. Well, uh, this has been a blast for me, too. Thanks for listening. You can find me at Brian Koppelman. You can email me, um, um, themomentbk at gmail.com. And uh, see you next time. Thanks, James. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcasts.